Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, we're so grateful that you are here this morning. I tell you what, I love good news. I love good news. I love any place I can find it. But I'm gonna tell you, it's pretty hard to find really a whole lot of good news anywhere in the actual news. You ever notice that? I mean, I don't know what flavor you are, if you're Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. Or I, don't know what, I don't know if you like the paper, you like to go online. I, I don't know where your news comes from. It's just hard to find anything good out there. So I want us to take a minute and I want us to look at some not so good news. And these are headlines that, that I just ran across that are hilariously not good news. And, and I wanted to share them with you. Jay Leno, um, back when he used to run The Tonight Show, would have a segment about just funny headlines. And here are some of the ones that I found and I just wanted to share with you. Um, and if you don't get my sense of humor, this may not be funny, uh, but we'll see if we can go there together. You ready? Evening Standard, man found dead in graveyard. <laughs> huh, really? Shocker, watch this one. Fish need water. The feds say, aren't you grateful that your tax money's going to fund studies that will show us such incredible knowledge and wisdom as fish need water? Uh, how much, that was a, probably a $400 billion project that thankfully we found out fish need water. Um, <laughs> state population to double by 2040. Babies to blame, right? Uh, how else do you double the population, right? Looking for good news, you can't find any. I love this. Safety meeting ends in accident, <laughs> That's my kind of safety meeting. Like I could get excited about one that you were, you know, you knew it was gonna end in some type of accident or fire. Um, let's look at this one. Federal agents raid gun shop, find weapons. Really? I'd love to have been there. You're telling me you raided a gun shop and there were weapons there? Anyway, I think this is my favorite. Man arrested for everything. <laughs> like what did this guy do? Like what's one thing he could have done that broke every law out there, but he was arrested for everything. I would say, no matter if it's the internet, or it's a hard copy of a newspaper, good news is hard to find. But I'm gonna tell you something, don't be fooled. Life is full of good news. I wrote some things down that I'm reminded of or some good news moments in my life. I, I think of the time where uh, I made an A on the test that I thought I would bomb. I think of the good news that comes when it says you made the team the good news that says, hey, you're accepted into the college of your dreams. You're hired. You're getting a raise. Some good news out there. Think of this, you're getting married. You're having a baby. And maybe some of the greatest news of all, you're gonna be a grandparent. One of my favorite pieces of news is that the McRib is back at McDonald's, right? I love when that flashes across everywhere. I mean, life is full of good news, but hear me. There is no news that compares to the good news known as the gospel. To the good news known as the gospel. While life is full of good news, the gospel is the only good news that is full of life. I'm gonna say that again. While life is full of good news, the gospel is the only good news that is full of life. But what is the gospel? In our series, We Are Connect Church, we've been answering the why behind what we do in order to encourage and excite one another to ask, how can I be involved in what God is doing in the life of his church? We've asked this question, why church? Why serve? Why sing? 
Why, why this book? Why spend time with, with Jesus in our every day? And today we look at the very subject that, that every message we preach here at Connect Church V-Lines to, every song we sing at Connect Church V-Lines to, every act of love and every act of service V-Lines to this very subject, and that is the very gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of most services, as a church, I'll, I'll challenge you to, to leave here and to share and be the gospel. And the question arises, what does that even mean? And why does that even, why does it matter? Why is the gospel so central and celebrated in the life of our church? Well, to begin, I wanna share with you one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible and its discussion about the, about the gospel. So if you have a moment, take your Bibles, Colossians chapter one, either open your Bible or open your app, scroll or turn the page, and let's find Colossians chapter one together. We're gonna camp out here really all morning. And we're gonna go verse by verse and read through it. Listen to what Colossians chapter one, starting in verse one says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful churches in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. You see, verse one introduces to the authors of this letter or this epistle. And we find out that it's Paul, and catch his title here, an apostle of Christ Jesus. You know that word apostle means this, that he is seen, that he is known, and that he's walked with Jesus. But the problem is, we find that Paul really wasn't converted until Jesus had died and rose again. But here he is designating himself as an apostle. Weren't the apostles the, the 12 guys that walked with Jesus while he was still alive and, and walked with him and did life with him? But here's the problem. I love the story of Paul because he encountered and he experienced Jesus in a way where he saw him and he heard him and forever Jesus changed his life. And so he wears it proudly that not only have I seen him, I've heard him, I know him, and I'm walking with him. This is that Paul. He's the author of this letter. And then he also introduces here just uh, for a little bit. He says this, that I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Man, a big question in the church today is what's God's will for my life? Can't that be a staggering and crippling question? Like, what is God's will for my life? What, which way is the right, which way is the way that, that's gonna please God the most? Hey, can I, can I just tell you something just practically? The very fact that you're asking that question is a big deal and a big indicator of your love and your walk for Jesus. When we look at life and decisions we make, we go, Father, how can I best please and honor you and desire his will? But he says, and I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Hey, can I share you something I know of the will of God today? That it is God's will that every person come to faith and trust in him through Jesus Christ. That every person's life is changed forever by the gospel. I love 2 Peter 3, 9, where the Bible reminds us that it's not God's will that any perish, but that all come to the repentance of their sins. That means that we turn from our sin and ourselves and we pursue Jesus with everything in our lives. But notice too that Timothy's mentioned here. Hey, can I, can I just challenge everybody to have a Timothy? Who are you mentoring? Hey, mom and dad, are you mentoring your children to follow and to know Jesus. Who is it in your life that you're taking on your way? For, for Paul, Timothy was younger and Paul was pouring his life into him. And I'm going to tell you, the strength of a church is that how we're mentoring even the younger generation to know and to follow after Jesus. 
And that's exactly the relationship we see here with Paul and with Timothy. And notice this, Timothy, our brother, to the saints. Listen to how he, try, he describes this church at Colossae. He says they're, they're saints. You, you ever heard the phrase that believers will use? Oh, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace. Now listen, I get the sentiment behind that. But you're not gonna find in the New Testament ever a believer who has been born again and Jesus has changed them ever described as a sinner. But you'll find time and time again that they're described as saints of God. And so here's what I wanna challenge your thinking in. It's not to walk around, I'm just a sinner saved by God's grace. No, no, rather, you are a saint of God. The very word at its very beginning means this, that you are holy and set apart by God. And guess what? Every day you wake up, you begin in that position that you are holy before God. You are a saint of God. I love this too. Not only are they, they saints, but they are faithful brothers in Christ. You know, I, I don't know what the community thinks about Connect Church. I heard a lot of good things, how God's moving in our midst. But can I, can I tell you the testimony I pray above all else? That as people hear about, as people talk about, as you leave and you live outside of these walls, that the testimony of Connect Church would be that we are a church that is faithful to Jesus and faithful to the work that he has called us to. I pray that that's the testimony, not how pretty the space in which we meet, not in how our church has grown, but our testimony is that you and I are found faithful to Jesus. Now watch what this letter does. He addresses it to the church at Colossae. The church at Colossae. Now what's unique about this is that Paul has never been here. In fact, Paul didn't plant or start this church. Somebody else did. What is that extra unique too is that Colossians is known as one of the prison epistles. This is a letter that Paul wrote from a Roman prison cell to a church he had never been to and a church he didn't start. But what's amazing about this story is is that the church at Colossae was making so much of, so much of Jesus that it caught the attention of Paul even in a Roman prison cell. Hey, can I, can I tell you something? You want to... You want to catch the attention of other people? You want to catch the attention of a community, of a nation, of a world? Make much of Jesus in your life. And that's what we see for many unnamed brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, that they've caught Paul's attention all the way in Rome in prison. He says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father. I love this passage here. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Hey, by the way, can I, can I actively encourage you to pray for the churches of our community? Not just this one. If you're just praying for Connect Church, you're missing the mark. Man, we need all of our churches loving Jesus, serving Jesus, faithful to Jesus, filled with saints who make much of Jesus in the life of our community. Because I'm telling you, even in this county, on the Bible buckle, here in Sevier County, our community is getting more and more lost and further and further away from Jesus. And we need him. He says, we haven't stopped praying for you since, watch this, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Did you note this phrase right here? Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We heard of your faith. No, it didn't say we heard of your building. 
We heard of your budget. We heard of your programs or your, your pastor. Notice it didn't say any of those things. We heard of how many people are sitting in seats on a Sunday gathering together. It didn't say any things. We have heard of what? We have heard of your faith in Jesus. Now church, let me remind you, a gospel-driven church, a church that makes much of Jesus, a gospel-driven church is known by their faith. And that's what we find in the church at Colossae. And watch this, it's not only their faith, but look at this phrase right here. And of the love that you have for all the saints. You know what it doesn't say? And the love you have for saints that you like. The love you have for saints that are easy and not weird. Or the love you have for saints that look just like you and talk just like you and wear Columbia vests just like you, right? doesn't say that. For all, for all the saints. You know what Christians are most famous for? They're the most infamous army in the world because we kill our wounded. Oftentimes we are far more characterized by our criticism and hatred of one another than we are for our love for one another. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 13, and I love this passage, he says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, now I, I'm, not, I'm gonna hold Jesus up from answering that in scripture real quick, because how would we answer this? Everyone would know you're disciples of Jesus if you go to church every time the doors are open. If you give money to the church, go on every mission trip you possibly can. People will know that you're his disciples if you and we would answer it so many different ways. But watch how Jesus answers this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That don't even make sense. Except for it does to Jesus. And when people begin to catch a glimpse that we truly love each other, the good, bad, the ugly, that we're there for each other, when the rains fall and the rivers rise, when tragedy strikes, when sin abounds and we call one another to repentance and we build each other up in Christ, we begin to see that loving one another makes all the difference in the world. Hey, a gospel-driven church is a church that is known by their love for one another. And I love this. And all of this is predicated on the hope that they had built up in heaven. And, and here's my question this morning, is where is your hope laid up? Where does your hope lie? Is it in the political system that seems to fail us at every turn? Is it in an American dream that is, that is hard reality for so many people? Where does your hope lie? Is it in, in a family that you love so much? Is it in the material things that surround us? Is it in relationships that break in one day or break off the other day? Where does your hope lie? What's amazing at a church at Colossae, you know where their hope is laid up? Their hope is laid up in heaven where rust and muth cannot destroy. Their hope is laid up in Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder from the testimony of this church uh, back here all the way back in the New Testament times church that our hope lies in Christ and Christ alone. And we need to be reminded of that. And we're reminded of that through the testimony of this church. Let's continue on in Colossians chapter one. Paul writes, of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, in the gospel, now we're introduced to a word that is talked about in all of chapter one, and that's the word gospel. I love the word gospel. Euangelion, that's what it is in the Greek. You know what it really means? Good news. So when I say good news, I mean the gospel. 
And when I say gospel, I mean good news. We're gonna, we're gonna use it interchangeably. But it calls it this, it says it's the word of truth which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And I love what this passage begins to teach us about the gospel. First, we see the gospel as good news and truth. When we speak of the gospel, we're talking about the very truth of God that is greater than any reality that you and I know. I love what Jesus said. And I gotta go one more passage over. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except by me. If the gospel is truth, then its very source of truth is truth himself. And that is Jesus Christ. I love Romans chapter one, verse 16. As Paul would speak of the gospel, he would say this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We find that the gospel has power in and of himself. And who is that self? Well, that's Jesus. And here's what we begin to learn. And I love what John Calvin says. He says, the whole gospel is contained in Christ. So what does that teach us? When we talk of the gospel, we must realize that the good news of the gospel points us to and culminates in Jesus. But I think, what is the gospel? Consider what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received... I passed on to you his first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. We've studied this passage together before. One of the first creeds, one of the statements of reality that came from the actual events of the cross and resurrection. And here is the very message that carries the very power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Anthony, is the, is the power of the gospel just the words we read? Well, yes, there's power there, but I love what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, that our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, because here's what we understand about the gospel, is that the gospel, that everything it touches, it changes. That everywhere it goes, it has great power, the message, the good news of Jesus. But what is the gospel? Anthony, what is, what is the gospel? I love how it's described in the New Testament from time to time. It's described simply as this, the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus in Romans 15, 19, 1 Corinthians 9, 12, 2 Corinthians 2, 12, 9, 13, and 10, 14, Galatians 1, 7, Philippians 1, 27, and I could go on and on. How many times the New Testament describes the gospel as simply the gospel of Jesus Christ? I love how one author wrote about the gospel. Listen to what he says. The gospel bears witness to every aspect of Christ's saving work, from his birth and public ministry to his second coming. But it is the death and the resurrection of Christ that are most crucial for the accomplishment of salvation and that are therefore more prominent in the gospel's witness. Incredible. The gospel points to and it culminates in Jesus. I love this in, in verse six, and we know the gospel as truth, right? Because Jesus is truth. But we also know the gospel as good news is active. Look in Colossians chapter one, verse six. Here's what Paul says about the gospel, that it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. Now church, hear me, we are 30 years as Paul writes this letter to the Colossians from a Roman prison cell, we are 30 years removed from Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, and some 40 days later, his ascension back into heaven. 30 years removed. The gospel's not dead. 
The gospel is still alive and it is active. And guess what? It really is growing around the world. We find that in Acts chapter two, the gospel begins in Jerusalem and it moves to Syria and to Asia Minor and to Greece and to Italy and to Egypt and North Africa and to Persia. It is spreading like wildfire in the mouths of those who have been forever changed by the gospel. And hear me, the gospel didn't spread by the mouths of preachers and just missionaries, but the gospel spread like wildfire in the mouths of those, of any believer and every believer, wherever they went. They told whoever they could about Jesus. But if the gospel is good news, it's truth and it's, and it's active. Can I ask you this question? Is the gospel bearing fruit in your life today? Is it growing in your life and my life? And if any, how do I measure that? Hey, by the very measure Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, are you and I every day loving God more and more with everything of who we are? In our every day, are we loving people more and more because that is what God loves the most? Every day is the, is the gospel bearing fruit and is it working, is it active in our lives by the way that we are looking at our sin and we have such a hatred for, for it that we are repenting and turning from our sin and ourselves, and we're pursuing after Jesus. The question is, is the gospel bearing fruit in your life. Lady, how does it? How, how does the gospel bear fruit? Well, look in verse six. How do we know it's bearing fruit? Because they heard and they understood the grace of God, the Bible tells us. They heard and they understood. They didn't just hear the facts. They understood the gospel. And I love that word understood in the Greek. Listen to its meaning, you ready? To discern something clearly and distinctly as truth and valid often with personal ties that necessitates a reaction. You know what? It's more than just hearing it or knowing what the gospel is, but when they encountered this message of Jesus and he saved them, the gospel changed everything for them. It's the reminder of Romans chapter five, verse eight. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's the gospel. That in our, in our deepest and darkest of sins, in our greatest rebellion, in our greatest act of treason against God, God saw it, he loved us there, he gave his son Jesus to die for us as a demonstration of his love. And I'm gonna tell you something, when you not, just, when you not only hear that message, but you take hold of it for your life, it changes everything. It changes everything. That's what it means to understand the gospel. When we encounter it, we not only hear it, but we understand it, and it moves us to action. And what is that action? Living by and for and in Jesus. They heard it and they understood. I love this too, in verse seven, we're introduced to a man that has a really weird name, Epaphras. Let's just call him Epi, okay? We got Epi here, right? We're introduced to this guy that we don't know a whole lot about. Here's all we know of other scriptures really about Epaphras, and that's found in Philemon in verse 23. And it says this, Paul called him my fellow prisoner of the gospel. But here's what we find in just the verse that we find here in scripture in, in verse seven. Here's what his character, here's how people describe him. He's faithful, he's beloved, meaning people love him. He's a servant of Jesus and that he loved people. Don't you wish that's exactly what people said about you? 
and me. Now, if I get to the end of my life and my wife and my kids can say, you know what, my daddy, my husband was faithful to Jesus. He knew he was loved by Jesus. He served Jesus. And he loved me. I tell you what, guys, I'll have accomplished everything that I ever want to accomplish in this life. And that is the very testimony of Epi here in verse number seven. That's how people described him because you know what's amazing about him? He lived out the gospel. He didn't just hear it and leave it. He lived it out. Look at verse nine. As we're drawn to a, to a conclusion in verse 11, it says, and so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Catch this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. So here's what we find out about the gospel. Not only the gospel that saves us, but the gospel that's lived out is this. It leads us to being filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding of God's will for our life. But Anthony, what is God's will? What shirt color am I going to wear today? What route to work am I going to take? Listen, let me tell you something. Don't get caught up in the small. What is God's will? It's found right here in Scripture. It's to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. The gospel lived out leads to walking not just in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, but in a way that is pleasing to him. The gospel lived out, lived out says this, that Jesus, you're my greatest joy. Jesus, you're my greatest pleasure in this life. And I want to make a note real quick about the gospel. The gospel is more than just behavior modification, Right? It's more than just trying to make our children good little boys and girls. It's more than that. It has to be more than that. It's more than just a list of do's and don'ts because that always leads to religion at the sacrifice of relationship with God. When the gospel is lived out, it is a life lived by, for, and in Christ rather than behavior modification. I jotted this down. It is a beautiful transformation brought about by Jesus. And here's what we begin to see. When it's brought about by Jesus, our love for God is more and more every day. Our love for what God loves the most and that is people is more and more every day. And our hatred of the sin in our lives grows more and more every day. The gospel lived out bears good fruit in every work and increases our knowledge of God. And can I tell you something? This isn't with everybody. But with most people we come in contact with, the more we know about them, the more we love them. And there's some people I learned a lot about them. I don't like them as much. But you know, that's not so with God. The more and more you know him, your knowledge and your understanding of him increases, the more and more you love him the more and more you desire to serve him. Watch how it starts ending up here. And Paul says this, he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. You know what we're watching here? We're watching Paul's prayer and Paul's hope for the church. Can I ask you a question? What would it be like if you and I committed to pray for each other like this? Do you know what I'm convinced of in the church? We are far better about talking about each other and spend more time doing so than we ever are for praying for one another. How, how much difference would it make 
if this was our prayer for all the churches, for all the saints, all the brothers and sisters in Christ, how much more effective would our churches be in the work that God has called us to? You know why? Because here's the subtle truth. Watch this. Thanks be to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you know how we get to a place where instead of celebrating people's failures and their shortcomings, instead of just gossiping and slandering and tearing down with words, you know how we, how we get away from that? When you and I are reminded that we brought nothing to the table in our relationship with God, and God brought everything to the table in the Son, Jesus. I'm not qualified to stand here and preach. You're not qualified to name his name except for the fact that you heard the gospel, you understood it, Jesus saved you, and he qualified us. Qualified us. That humble reality reminds us that, you know what, we ought to be quicker to pray for one another than we are to tear each other down. And watch this. In verse 13, one of my favorite descriptions of the gospel. I want you to write this down or jot this in a notepad on your phone. Watch this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that an incredible definition of the gospel? Isn't that an incredible description of the reality of the gospel? But here's the question. When it comes to this verse, when it comes to the reality of the gospel, is the gospel just a knowledge of and a recitation of facts? I love what one author said. He said, sometimes there is a need to clarify that becoming a Christian is not simply intellectual assent to the gospel message. He said, because technically, Satan could affirm its truthfulness and its accuracy. And he don't love God. He's not been changed by the gospel of God. I want us to do this. Aaron, bring me out my, my little prop for today. I, I want to I kind of illustrate this with you today. My buddy Aaron, somewhere in the back, he's coming with it. I, I ran across the story of the famed French tightrope walker by the name of Blondin. Listen to what this guy did. You can sit right there. He decided he would take a, a rope, thanks Aaron, and he would string it across the Niagara Falls. A, a crowd gathered to watch him. And it's just like a NASCAR race. They want to see him fall. You know, you just, you're, you're there because he could fall in the Niagara Falls and die. And so they, a crowd had gathered to watch this tightrope walker do his thing. Strung a string across that place. And here's to their amazement. He asked them, hey, do you believe I can make it from here or there without falling? Crowd's like, yes, we believe. So that dude jumps on that tightrope and walks across the breadth of the Niagara Falls and back and doesn't fall down and die. Man, they start, they start screaming and yelling. They're cheering him on. And then he says this, hey, how about this? Do you guys believe that I could take this wheelbarrow and I could walk this across the falls along this tightrope without falling? Again, the crowd. We believe. Yes, you can do it. And so here comes Blondin. He walks across. He goes across the falls and he comes back again. And guess what? He makes it across the road. And then he looks at the crowd who are just, man, with excitement. What's he going to do next? And he says, how many of you guys believe I could, I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and I could walk him across the tightrope? Man, we believe. We believe. And then he looks at the crowd and says, who wants to get in? 
And since the whole thing started, the crowd was completely silent. Nobody said a thing. Because you know what? They said they believed right here, but no one was willing to get in to the wheelbarrow and put their beliefs into action. Let me share something with you about the gospel. Truth is, is we, we don't have to walk a tightrope when it comes to the gospel. But we need to do more than just believe it. You and I need to get in the wheelbarrow by faith that Jesus holds. And you and I need to go with him wherever he leads and wherever he goes. They knew that he could do it that day at the Niagara Falls, but they were unwilling to put their lives in his hands. The power of the gospel isn't just knowing what Jesus has done, but the power of the gospel also comes in trusting in what he can and do through the gospel in and through your life and my life. So, Anthony, what is the gospel? You ready? I just summed it up. You can answer this with many scriptures and in many different ways, but let me just share with you how I answer this. What is the gospel? It is the good news that the God who created you loves you and sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for, for your sins and that Jesus rose again so that you and I, we might have eternal life in Jesus that is the message. That is the summation of the gospel. And here's the deal. The greatest part of the gospel is that it connects us with Jesus. The greatest power of the gospel is not just a, a knowledge of facts or a recitation of facts. The greatest knowledge of the gospel is that it leads us to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've heard it said this way about the gospel. That the gospel saves us from the penalty of our sins. From the penalty of our sins a debt that you and I could not pay, a debt that we owed, that outside of Jesus there was no hope. I was thinking through this as I was praying earlier on in the week. I mean, how could I convey the gospel to you today? Praying through, Father, how could I, in a unique way that may stick, how, how could I share the gospel? And so, I mean, I did something I rarely ever do, and I'm not giving up my man card for this. I wrote a poem. I like to call it message in words instead of poem because that sounds a little girly for me. But here's, here's what I did. I just wrote this out. Um, <laughs> if it's terrible, I need you to fake that it's really good, okay? Um, I just sat in my office over here and I wrote this out. What is the gospel? It is the offer of salvation for every sinner, the defeat of every sin. It is the death of shame and guilt and strife that wars deep within. It is the good news that has the power to save for everyone who believes it is life and hope and joy and peace for someone just like me. It's more than a story, more than a song, more than words can contain. It's Jesus's death in the empty tomb forever and ever proclaimed. It ushers in forgiveness and grace for a rebel's heart like mine, all the while loving me. Oh, the gospel's great design. Its heights cannot be measured nor the breadth and width defined. For the Savior loves changes everything, the heart, the soul, the mind. So what is the gospel, I'll tell you. It's the message of Jesus Christ, who died yet lives, having conquered death, and is the giver of new life. Don't wait another minute. Don't look to other ways. Give to him your life, your heart, 
for your salvation awaits today. I remember thinking through the gospel and everything included in that little message and words, in that little poem, are all the greatest things I cherish in it that I need, that I'm desperate for, that I could not bring to the table myself, that God had to bring to the table of my life through his son Jesus. The gospel doesn't only save us from the penalty of sin. The gospel saves us from the power of sin in our everyday. I've heard it said this way, the gospel dethrones sin, it enthrones God, and makes war on sin in our own hearts and our own bodies. Isn't that good? Right? I'm gonna read it again. It dethrones sin, it enthrones God, and it makes war on sin in our own hearts and bodies. You see, Jesus saves us from the power of sin in our everyday. And praise God, one day he saves us from the very presence of sin altogether. And you know what? Some days I just get to the end and go, man, I can't wait for that day. I'm with him. I'm whole. The sin that I've struggled with is thrown off. Praise God, because here's the deal. It's a reminder that you need the gospel, that I need the gospel, and that is good news. I love what John Piper says. And watch this quote, it's really good. He says, you never, never, never outgrow your need for this gospel. You don't begin the Christian life with this and then leave it behind and get stronger with something else. God strengthens us with the gospel till the day we die. Hey church, you just don't need the gospel to save you. You need the power of the gospel at work in and through your every day. Colossians 1 does not paint a picture of the gospel that is only good for saving someone, but of a gospel that is actively at work, maturing, growing believers, and making an impact in the lives of everyone that believer comes in contact with. I I jotted this down about the gospel, that the gospel is not just a telling of information, rather a testimony of transformation brought about by God who is mighty to save us. In Jesus. It is a truth, a message, a reality that changes everything for the person who but believes. Hey, are you ready? Let me put it this way. The gospel changes the reality of every person who hops in this wheelbarrow with Jesus. It says, you know what? I'm placing all the cards in here. I'm placing my entire life, my future, my hopes, and my dreams. Jesus, I'm climbing in this wheelbarrow by faith. And I'm going to let you lead and guide my life. The gospel is more than just information. It's transformation brought about by Jesus Christ. Early on in my ministry, I, uh, I was an intern working at a church. And, and there was another intern. And he was, uh, he was a little bit older than me. And I started preaching when I was 15 years old. My messages were about seven minutes long and I cried the whole time, right? And uh, you're probably like, can we go back to those days? Anyway, I, I, I love preaching. I did it since I was 15 in all the churches around this area. When you're 15 years old and you're willing to preach, literally every church wants you for their use. It doesn't matter how good you are, how terrible you are. Even if you use the Bible, they just want you around, right? And so I would preach around all these churches. And I had, I had one, one fellow who was a few years older than me. He was an intern and he used to make fun of me. He'd say, man, all you ever do is preach about the cross and the gospel. I'd preach again and I'd preach about the cross and the gospel. He'd go, man, is that all you ever could preach about? And man, it started giving me a little bit of a complex. But every time I preached, I couldn't help but talk about the cross and the gospel. And here at the age of 15, here's what I kind of settled in on. 
I had known 14 years of my life without Jesus. And Jesus saved me and he changed me. And even at the age of 15, I just couldn't get over what Jesus had done for me in my heart, my life. And I'm telling you, I'm 36 years old and I'm standing before you today and I'm telling you, I still can't get over what Jesus has done for me through the cross and through the resurrection and through the gospel that has given me life. And I pray this church, amen. And here's what I pray. I pray that you and I will never get over it. That we'll never get over what Jesus has done. Let me ask you this. If the gospel is the good news that the God who created you loves you, sent his son Jesus to die for your sins, and that that Jesus rose again that you might have eternal life in him. If the gospel connects you with Jesus, let me ask you, are you connected with Jesus this morning? Can I close with just one last illustration? This comes out of a seminary. Theologically, there's no foundation for this, but it's a really cool way to think of things. Listen to this. The devil and his cohorts were devising plans to get people to reject the gospel. Let's go to them and say there is no God, proposed one. Silence prevailed. Every devil knew that most people believe in a supreme being. Well, let them, let's tell them that there's no hell, no future punishment for the wicked, another offered. That was turned down because man obviously has a conscience which tells them that sin must be punished. The conclave was going to end in failure when there came a voice from the rear that said, tell them there is a God, there is a hell, and that the Bible is the word of God. But tell them there's plenty of time to decide on that question. Let them neglect the gospel until it's all too late. And all hell erupted with ghoulish glee for they knew that if a person procrastinates on Christ, usually they'll never accept him. Now there's no truth, that's not found in the Bible. But what it does is it does illustrate that today the Bible says is the day of salvation. If you have never been changed, heart, soul, and mind, by the message that God loves you, sent his son to die for you, he can change your life. Hey listen, if you've never Climb into the wheelbarrow with Jesus by faith. Do you know the good news this morning? While there still is a heart beating in your chest and breath that fills up your lungs, there is still an opportunity for you today to give Jesus your heart and to give him your life. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.